to a brand new episode of Talk A Mile In Our Shoes. Today's topic is intersectionality. For those who don't know, intersectionality is a term that refers to when you belong to two minority groups. For example, today's discussion will be when you are disabled and also belong to a race minority or your gender is a minority or if you're part of the LGBT community, anything of that nature. Basically, anytime you are one thing but also something else. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Who are you? Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) I am JD Otska. And I am Andy Shray. Hello, Andy. (laughs) As always, we start out by asking, how's your health? Well, I got my EEG results back. Yes. And they showed nothing, which was fantastic. And then I got a note from my doctor and she was like, your EEG showed nothing, but that doesn't mean you don't have seizures. (laughs) And I was like, great, thanks. Thanks for making me do all that and dealing with all this just to tell me absolutely nothing. It was great. Aside from that, (laughs) I'm actually doing pretty good. That's good. That's good. I'm glad. Uh, So am I. On the last episode, I believe we mentioned that I was going to the eye doctor. Right, yes. I have since gone to the eye doctor, and it was an interesting experience because there was certain things about it that were way more difficult because I'm in a wheelchair. For example, when you go to do the eye exam, you have to sit in this chair to be at the level for the thing and the chair can't move and so we couldn't put my wheelchair in the place of the chair so I had to be transferred out of the wheelchair into this other chair which was no problem because my dad came with me so he was able to transfer me into the chair but it's just this whole thing of there not being a way to do it in a wheelchair Mm -hmm. that annoys me (laughs) that seems strange yeah apparently there are some doctors that have that chair and they have a way of moving it mm-hmm. on behalf of the doctor he was very apologetic and he said like if we can't do it from the wheelchair let's see if we figure it out and we're like no 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 we'll just transfer don't worry about it we want to do an accurate test and we don't want to go to all this weird manipulation just to get it to work but yeah so he was very apologetic but he did admit that there are other offices that they just scooch the chair out of the way and then people in wheelchairs go and spy he says this chair doesn't do that no. <laughs> we're like, eh, it's okay but yeah now i have new glasses so that's great are are you wearing them right now i am they look very handsome thank you (laughs) (laughs) so yeah that's about the only health update that's great that's great we don't want news you don't want health news that's really the thing like no health news is always good news yes exactly you want it to stay where it is and not get worse (laughs) so on to today's discussion intersectionality And when discussing intersectionality with disability, there is a secondary term called disability plus, which was a term coined by Kimberly Crenshaw, I believe I'm pronouncing that name correctly. Kimberly is spelled kind of weird, so I'm not absolutely (laughs) certain that it's pronounced Kimberly. But disability plus is used disability plus race, disability plus gender, etc., Mm-hmm. So when discussing intersectionality specifically with disability, that is the term we'll be using. Why don't we start by discussing disability plus race? Because when most people think of intersectionality or disability plus, that's most likely the first thing they think of. Right, yeah. To throw out a statistic, there are 41.6 million people in the U.S. who are black. 5.6 million of those people are also disabled. That's a lot of people. That is a lot of people. 
When looking at intersectionality, it is sadly found that the difficulties experienced by the two groups separately Mm -hmm. are just compounded when they're combined. Right. For example, 74.6% of Black students graduate high school. But when those students are also disabled, that percentage drops down to 57%. (gasps) That's terrible. I know. That's so low. And when you really look at it, it makes sense because black students often face difficulties when getting access to education. Right. People with disability also experience those same, well, not same, different but similar difficulties. Yeah. When you are disabled and you're going through the education system, adaptations have to be made for you in order to be able to perform in the same way as other students. So, like, what what kind of adaptations would you need? Uh, like- for example, to give a personal example, when I was going through school mm-hmm. and I was taking tests and there was an essay section, it was written that I was allowed to use a laptop to type the essay section rather than handwrite it because I have smaller hands and it's difficult for me to write by hand for long periods of time. Okay. Especially under a time crunch. Yeah. (laughs) So I was allowed to use a laptop in those situations. Those kind of things are difficulties that people with disabilities could face when going through education. And then when you add on the other difficulties and prejudices Mm -hmm. that come from being a student of a minority race. Yeah. I'm just going to be clear and outright in saying it in that a white student with a disability is more likely to be given exceptions than a student of a race minority. That sucks. So that's why you see that statistical drop in graduation rate. The same thing could be said for other situations such as access to healthcare, access to funding and resources. Right. It's just there are prejudices that exist for both groups. When you belong to both groups, you're facing both of those prejudices at the same time, which means that they conflict with each other Mm -hmm. and they add on to each other and they make already difficult situations worse. Yeah. Now... (laughs) I don't want to be a total downer or act as though if you are a member of intersectionality, your life is guaranteed to be worse. That's absolutely not true. In the same ways that it adds difficulties, it also adds two forms of support systems. You have the support of your disabled community, but also the support of whatever other minority group you belong to. So like a cultural community. Yeah, a cultural community, a familial community, that kind of thing. Mm Mm-hmm. And while you might not find answers in one community, the other community might step up and help you find those answers. And also, there are resources and funding available for various groups. And so then you have access to disability funds, but you also have access to any other things that you might belong to. In the same way that it closes some doors, it opens others, Mm -hmm. is what I'm saying. And it allows you to feel more connected in a weird way. I can say this from personal experience because I myself am intersection because I am disabled and I am also a member of the LGBT community. Yes. <laughs> in, case, in case I haven't said it on the show, I'm not sure if I have or not, but in case I haven't, I identify as pansexual and non-binary. And so I am intersectional because... Because you're gay, baby. Yeah. Me too. I'm also gay. We're just two gay people (laughs) (laughs) sitting around in GD's bedroom. (laughs) Talking about disability. Talking about disability. (laughs) 
So how do you think that affects one another? How do you think those two overlap for you? Because you just recently came out or Mm -hmm. moved that part of you into the world, so... I just recently came out, and I also just recently... I wouldn't say I recently discovered it about myself, but it's more that I recently fully opened up myself to that part of me. Mm -hmm. And I think part of the reason that it... I'm 28 years old, by the way. So part of the reason that it took me so long to come to that realization and acceptance of that side of me is partly because of my disability. Mm -hmm. And I have a very physical, very obvious disability. The moment you meet me, you realize I'm disabled. Yeah. And also my disability is one of the more common ones to be ostracized by society, for lack of a better term. Right. It's not exactly ostracization, but it's just people more often react to it in less than positive way, let's say that. Because of those things, I think there was a part of me that felt nervous to add on to that. Right. Just going to make it harder on yourself. Or you could at least. Yes. Yeah. I think when I was younger and I felt certain feelings or I thought certain ways, there was some part of me either consciously or subconsciously that said it might be better to just put those by the wayside for (laughs) now. Right. (laughs) And then what brought it out was that I actually was working on a play outside of being a podcast host. I also (laughs) write plays. I was writing a play called Disability Plus that focused on a character who is non-binary and pansexual and in a wheelchair. And when I was writing this character, I said, I put a lot of myself in this character. <laughs> and then it kind of got me thinking, if I put myself into this character, maybe this is who I want to be more. Yeah. And maybe I should be a little bit more open mm-hmm. with that side of myself, both to myself and to others. Yeah, that was what caused me to come out and to accept that part of me. Right. But yes, it is difficult and sometimes scary to move towards that part of you because of the stigma that you'll face. Right. I've even seen within the little people community, there are still people who are racist. There are still people who are homophobic. Or even if they are not straight out homophobic, they're just not understanding. Mm -hmm. It is scary to think that you have found this community that you feel more accepted in. Mm -hmm. I, I went to my first big Little People of America event when I was, I believe I was 10 years old. Oh, okay. It was a weird experience where I had a really good childhood and I I always felt very accepted both by my family and by the community I found myself in. I was never bullied. I was never oh, nice. excluded majorly. Of course, there were certain things that I didn't do, but those were more personal choices <laughs> because I knew it wouldn't be safe. I was never socially excluded. I will put it that way. Even though I had that upbringing and I had that experience, going to my first national Little People of America conference, for Mm -hmm. anyone who doesn't know, the LPA hosts national conventions where basically the majority of little people across the country come together to one city for about a week. And there are various events held, there's sporting events, there's doctor panels, things like that. It just gives little people access to both people they might not be able to regularly see, but also just social situations that they could visit with other little people. Do they have a dance? 
They do. There's actually a dance every uh, single night. Every night. Every night. It's it's very cool. Oh, I love that. Uh, there's a talent show too. Shut that's up. usually pretty big. There's a fashion show. But yeah, so these national conventions are held once a year, and I attended my first one. I'm pretty sure I was ten. I'm not absolutely certain on that. I might have actually been younger. Even though I had an upbringing that I felt pretty accepted, attending that first convention was one of the first times that I felt more understood in a weird way. Yeah. And a lot of these fears and awkward feelings that I didn't even realize I was feeling slightly went away. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, oh, there is a deeper level of understanding than I even realized was possible. Hmm. To find that and then to think there is another part of me that might separate me from this group that Mm. I have now found. I see. It's scary. Yeah. (laughs) And it's worrisome. And so I absolutely do not blame my younger self for thinking maybe I should keep this part of me a little more hidden. Probably the biggest takeaway that I want to have from today's discussion is that intersectionality can be scary. It can be worrisome. And to think that a group that is made up of people who are ostracized by the majority of society, Mm. to think that that group would look at some of its members and think, you don't belong with us either, it's upsetting and it's frustrating. Yeah. And so I would just like to say that if you are a member of a minority group and you find someone intersectional within your group, extend a hand to them. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Be nice to them. Yeah. Be understanding of them. And also ask about their other group and ask Mm -hmm. what they experience, what they feel. Because a lot of the difficulties and difficult situations that are experienced by intersectional people come from not just rude people, but also just a lack of understanding and of communication. Yes, absolutely. We all experience difficulties and we all experience problems. And it's very easy to get caught up in your own situation Yeah. Then when someone's saying, oh, no, my situation is different than this. And oh, but we're both disabled. Why is your situation different? Are you saying that you have a harder time than I do? No, we're not (laughs) saying that, but it is different. Or it's easy to say, well, it should be this way. Okay, it can't be that way for you, but it can't be that way for me for reasons A, B, and C. We just need to have more discussions because before going into this episode or before going into writing Disability Plus, I had never really considered much about intersectionality, Yeah, to be honest. I had never heard the term Disability Plus and I had just never really thought about how I just thought, oh, okay, you belong to a race minority, but you also have a disability. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Sure. (laughs) Now I realize that completely changes your life. Yeah. And it completely changes your experience and the way you function in the world. Yeah. I just want to raise awareness to it, I guess. Yeah. And I wanted to be discussed more because the other thing is, too, is that there are a lot of legal policies that exist to help people in minority groups. But then when that person belongs to another group, some of those policies don't apply to them. Right. Yes. 
Or they might have one policy that works out for them, but because of another policy or another situation, mm-hmm. it says, oh, well, you can't do this if you are doing this. Right. So, for example, disability benefits are very tricky and they're very precise. Or you can only make this amount of income. And if you make anything above that, you lose yes. your, your funding. And uh, some of those things are you cannot receive funding by other means. If you are receiving benefits for one of your other... I can't think of a specific example, to be honest. But if there is a situation where you receive one type of funding, Mm -hmm. it may exclude you from receiving disability funding. Mm. It's just unfair because a lot of the situations that people find themselves in are out of their control. Like, we don't get to choose which race we're born into. We don't get to choose what gender we're born as. We get to decide what gender we identify as. Mm -hmm. But not what... I should say we don't get to choose what sex we're born as. Right. You may be born into a situation that excludes you immediately from birth by no fault of your own. Yeah. I don't know what the compromise is. I don't know what the situation is. But I want to see some changes and some more understanding be brought to people who face greater challenges outside of their control. I think it begins with discussions like this and discussions within groups. Yeah. At its core, intersectionality is really like stacking layers of exclusion on top of one another. It's really important that we begin to see the different shades of exclusion that people face. I have experienced some very interesting moments (laughs) being like just a a female human who's also disabled. Can I tell those stories? Go right ahead. Okay. I don't want to like jump you and like, no, no, I'm not like jump you. Yeah, I remember the the very first time when I had my very first seizure, which was absolutely a nightmare. And it was just the end of the world. And I thought I was going to die. And it really felt like that. My mom rushed me to the ER and they saw me. Well, they made me sit in the lobby for a bit, obviously. But eventually they saw me and they said, no, that's migraines. Go home. But I would come back later and get actual health care. Just a few years ago, I went to look at my medical history to try and get out of jury duty. And I got my like medical forms for the last like five years of my life. And I looked at them and my intake form from that very first time I went to the ER said 24-year-old girl claims to blah, 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 blah. I could not believe it. I couldn't believe it. like a professional medical worker who was an adult, saw me as an adult and called me a 24-year-old girl. Like, I still don't even understand how that's possible. I was like, who wrote this? Who did this? Some person signed off on this. And I know that that person did not have a vagina. I can tell you that right now. (laughs) So that was my first experience with being infantilized, not only as a sick person, but as a a woman or as a girl, rather. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) So that was, yeah, the like first example of that. Later on, I had a neurologist who was really creepy and he did not like me at all. And he said really creepy things to me. First time I ever saw him, I was like, here are all the problems I'm having. Here are all of my concerns right now because I had to switch from like UNM to Presbyterian health for my job, which sucked when you're like forced to change doctors and systems. It's like such a pain in the ass. 
But we spent like half of that appointment discussing my like menstrual cycle and my like future of pregnancy. It was really weird because my doctor at the time, Dr. Sandu, Dr. Belgender Sandu, after I said all my problems was like, yeah, okay, but are you going to get pregnant? When you're going to get pregnant, you have to talk to me. You have to come and we'll get you on vitamins and we'll have to look at your medicine again. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm okay. I don't, I have an IUD. I'm young. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to have kids right now. Uh, but he like would not let it go. He's like, you really got to talk to me immediately when you're, when you're pregnant. And then he asked me about like, does your menses affect your seizure activity? And it was so just uncomfortable and inappropriate. And I remember later like making a complaint to try and get a different neurologist talking to a woman and she was like, well, none of those things sound like a big deal to me. He's just a doctor. He's asking questions. Do you hear yourself? Do you hear the way you're just completely ignoring my legitimate concerns and discomfort? But no, she didn't. And I couldn't switch. I had to like move my whole doctor situation to Rio Rancho to get a new neurologist. It was terrible. I had to bring my dad to my next doctor's appointment to try and get any kind of like respect from this doctor. And he didn't talk to me at all. He just spoke to my dad the entire appointment. And it was gross and it was terrible. And I was like, come on, whatever. It's been years and I'm still up in arms about it. That whole experience for you just... Because that is a form of intersectionality too. It is probably the most common form because sex is the biggest divider. (laughs) Right, yeah, 50% Uh, of us. And so statistically and just socially shown that women, whether biological or identifying women, Mm -hmm. they experience a lot of what you are experiencing. Yeah. It's... This whole thing of you have to go through all these hoops to find a new doctor when your past one was terrible. And then yes. you have to, I can't say this with certainty, so maybe it is unfair for me to say, but I would say that when a male wants to switch doctors, it's usually just, okay, let's see, let's get you over to a new doctor. Right. But when female wants to switch doctors, it's, oh, why? Why? What was wrong with your other doctor? Ugh. My God. And it's not just a curiosity thing of, oh, what was wrong? It was more like, explain yourself. Mm -hmm. Defend why you are switching. Yes. (laughs) And they were not nice about it. They were not Mm -hmm. nice about it at all. And my mom, I wouldn't say she is disabled. She has some qualities that might lean towards disability, but Mm -hmm. she does not, definition speaking, have a disability. Fair. But she has had plenty of medical issues. Right. And she has gone through that same situation where she has had a male doctor that mansplains her issues to her. (laughs) And she has (laughs) wanted to switch or she has wanted to find someone else. And it's become a whole thing of, oh, why are you switching? Why? Why do you no longer want to see us? Yeah. And things like that. Or she... My mom is very well read and she also is usually very up to date on what's going on with her. Mm-hmm. She is, she's not one of those web, WebMD type of people <laughs> that goes into a doctor's appointment and is like, oh, I read my symptoms and I have this. Mm-hmm. She's not like that, but she is more aware of that kind of stuff from her experiences with me and also with her own experiences. She's right. more familiar with the medical world to have a deeper understanding. So when she does go into a doctor's office, she usually is able to say, oh, I have experienced this type of thing before. I believe it is this. Right. 
she's had doctors, particularly male doctors, but also female doctors, who have just said to her, oh, well, I don't think you have that. It can't possibly be Ugh. that. It, it, your symptoms sound more like this. And then they do a bunch of tests, or they prescribe her something, or they do this, this, and this, and then eventually it comes back around and it's, oh, no, I think you have this. And the thing that my mom said originally, yes. and then she's like, yeah, that's what I thought it was. And they said, yeah, but we just wanted to be sure. Ugh. We just needed to test. Yeah. I've only met two female neurologists ever. Mm -hmm. I've only met two ever. (laughs) Neurology in particular seems to be a very (sighs) male-dominated field, which sucks. It is, and it's just like I can't help but see that it's like these men who think that they have control over the human brain. Mm. So, like, they don't really listen to young people. They don't listen to women. And they don't really listen to, like, there's a weird kind of exclusion of, like, much older people in their own health care. I'm not going to say that being old is a disability, (laughs) but it shares characteristics of it's certainly very different having like a physical disability when you're in your 20s than it is when you're in your late 60s. You're going to be treated differently. I think young people have a, Mm -hmm. maybe they'll be like, well, let's try rehab. Let's make it work. And for older people, they're like, we're just going to get you a wheelchair and some compression socks and you're going to be fine. Age is another intersection, and I think uh, income, definitely. Income for sure. I don't know if he would mind me talking about it, but can I talk about your mom? Oh, yeah. So my husband's mom got really sick when he was younger. It's really expensive to be very, very sick and and Mm -hmm. getting treatment when you don't have quite the finances necessary to navigate the American healthcare system can be really, really hard and it can super affect the quality of life of the person who's sick, but also the quality of life of their their family. It affects your own health and the, the health of the people around you. And that's another way that people with disabilities can, can struggle with their monetary situation mm-hmm. as well. When you have a specialized disability, mm-hmm. Like dwarfism, and you need to see people who are versed and familiar with dwarfism. Right. Albuquerque and New Mexico in general sucks at having specialists. No. We don't have a lot of specialists. The ones we do are not always great. And then when we do get a good one, it's often the case that they're here for a few years and then they find a better paying gig somewhere else yep. and they leave. Yes. And yep. So when you have any type of specialized disability and you are in a lower income class, mm. It can be difficult to find the right doctors because they might not be readily available to where you live. Right. And travel is very expensive. Yes, that'll get you. (laughs) You have the costs of travel in addition to the costs of your medical care. Mm -hmm. And often when seeing specialists, it is massively more expensive than seeing your average doctor because specialty medicine requires special training and special education and everything Mm -hmm. and so because of all that they charge more to their patients and often their patients are the people who are (laughs) least able to pay that is a huge situation of intersectionality in that you need a type of care and you can't afford it Mm -hmm. there's also housing situations Mm -hmm. so some people who are there are plenty of disabled people who uh, have difficult housing situations or unhoused or live in rough circumstances or on the streets 
that is a huge, that is going to absolutely decimate your healthcare. Mm-hmm. Just absolutely make it so much harder for people to take you seriously, for people to help you, for you to be able to maintain any semblance of health at all. Yep. I, I was talking to my dad the other day about homeless women and Mm -hmm. how being a homeless woman puts you particularly into uh, dangerous situations. And and so I think, and I brought this up to him, that it's really, really, really important to also have access to like sexual health care, which is things that like male doctors don't have to really think about. But like abortion access is like hugely important to disabled women like uh, like myself. Like if I were to get pregnant, thank you, Dr. Sandu, if I were to get <laughs> pregnant, I would have to change my medication. It would be really dangerous for me. It would be really dangerous for my embryo into a fetus. It would be like really, really challenging to my health and the health of my future baby. I have to be able to make those choices I have to be able to make those choices and I can't have a doctor telling me you can't have that health care. I don't believe that women should have that just be absolutely impossible for disabled women to function in the world. To use a point we have said several times, intersectionality difficulties can be compounding. Mm-hmm. You were speaking of the unhoused community. Right. And as a society, we look at mental disabilities in a very weird way as it is. Yes. Situations like schizophrenia, bipolar, anything like that. Mm-hmm. People are uncomfortable by it. It's, yes. it's strange to them. It freaks them out. It makes them very nervous around people who have it. And then when you see someone who is unhoused that also has it, suddenly that person is terrifying. You stay away from them. And when you're walking past them on the streets, you pull your children closer. And mm-hmm. You make sure that you don't get too close or even you cross the street to, as to avoid them. Right. But those are the people who need extra support because they don't have access to treatment. Right. They don't have access to medication. They don't have access to anything that will help the situation that you are so afraid of. Yeah. If you can hear that sound, that is JD's sweet puppy dog. Very sweet. We love her. (laughs) She's very excited. She has strangers in her house. Well, not strangers, but she has people outside of her family in her house, and she hasn't gotten to say hi to them yet, so she's very excited. So I apologize (laughs) if you could hear it. It's kind of cute. So Puppies are getting to puppies. (laughs) So we're moving on. We're we're pushing through. Yes, we are. We are. It's going to be great. (laughs) (laughs) To wrap things up a little bit, I think this has been a little bit of a heavy episode. It has been. And a little bit of a sad episode. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to talk about some of the not necessarily funny, but more weird situations that intersectionality could cause. Yes. For example, if you are LGBTQ, particularly the G, if you are gay, (laughs) sex is often focused a lot more around the butt for you. (laughs) (laughs) If you are disabled and in a wheelchair, cleaning is not an easy situation. Fair, yeah. (laughs) I mean, that is just an issue that a lot of people tend to gloss over. Yeah, don't think you would think (laughs) about that. The intersection there is is very Mm -hmm. specific. It's very specific. And it's just something like in prep for this episode, I was just like, I should look this up. And so (laughs) I did. And then there was like this huge list. It was like, if you are preparing for anal sex, here's what you need to do to cleanse yourself. And then I was just looking at this list. I was like, yeah, I won't be able to do half this shit on this list. And so I was just 
just like, I was like, okay, what does that mean? What does that mean for me? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that is... That is a weird thing and possibly an uncomfortable thing to think about, but I hope it's a little bit funnier. That's something that Nelly could lead to. It also got me thinking about if you belong to a racial culture that is very connected to food mm. and or certain types of food, and then you have a disability that makes you more susceptible to stomach issues. Yeah. Or if you have something like uh, diabetes mm-hmm. or similar. Diabetes or anything like that. Anything that affects your diet, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's because of your stomach or because of anything else. Right. It might lead you to feel left out of certain cultural practices yeah. because you can't participate in them in the same way there's a lot of aspects to intersectionality some are fun some i mean not fun some are (laughs) some are strange some are straightforward some are are obvious and some are very obscure Mm -hmm. and you may not think of them unless you belong to that group and you probably won't Sometimes you you have to be told and you just kind of have to keep an open mind and and not try to like, hmm, I wonder all the things that intersect for JD. Let me just analyze them and see what I can find. But just be aware. Just Mm -hmm. keep your eyes open and think about other people and it'll, it'll work out. It'll all work out. Yeah. And at the end of the day, that's one of the most important things we could do is to continue to have these discussions, continue to be open about what we're experiencing, both for ourselves and for other people. Mm. And to understand that there are going to be things people don't know about unless we talk about it. Right. Yeah. So we should talk about it. (laughs) Hell yeah, we should. And we are. Yeah. (laughs) All right. You talked about sports at the convention. What's it called one more time? The Little? LBA National LBA Convention. LBA National Convention. So they do all kinds of activities, including sports. So I'm mm-hmm. going to toss a sport out at you, and okay. you have to tell me if you could do it, if you could find if a way I to do it. do it. Yes. Are we talking me today? or You specifically. If like I... Here we this go. This moment. If I said to you, basketball, could you play basketball? Probably not. No? Maybe. What if it was like a... I will say Yes. Okay. I could find a way to do it. Okay. Adaptive basketball. Mm-hmm. Okay. What about golf? Golf? No. Can't play golf? No. Can you play like desk golf? I could probably play desk golf. Time Maybe mini golf. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. Uh, can you do mini skateboards? Oh, the little uh, finger skateboards? Yeah, little finger skateboards. Could, <laughs> yes. could you do that? You could do that? I can't do that. Yeah. I can't. <laughs> yeah. I used to play with those a lot. Tech decks. Can you swim? Swim? No. Actually, I when I was younger, I took swim lessons, but I actually never learned how to swim. And now I definitely couldn't, so. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, what, like, what about if you had, like, a life jacket? If I had a life jacket, potentially, I probably wouldn't do it. Water's scary. What? Yeah. Especially for us New Mexicans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't experience water all that often. And I also I also have a perforated right ear. Oh. So if water gets in my ears, it's extremely uncomfortable and potentially dangerous. Right. So I avoid water. <laughs> Fair. I'm trying to think of any other sports, but honestly, I'm not really a sports guy. Let's see if I could think of any, any sport. I I got weirdly into disc golf. Yeah. Over quarantine. Absolutely. And I think disc golf might be possible. Maybe. I think you could play disc golf. I think I could play disc golf. It would be a matter of flexibility, though. It would be the issue. 
And that's the same situation with golf. Mm-hmm. That's why golf is a little oh. bit of a problem is because I'm not able to twist oh. very much. So turning to swing the club might be a little bit difficult. But this golf, you it's more arm than hips. So it might be possible. I haven't tried it yet. We should- I got more into watching it. I've thought about trying it. We should try it. Let's do a special episode of the podcast where Andy and JD try to play disc golf. (laughs) I think it's a great idea. I love it. But still just audio, no video. (laughs) So you just hear us just playing (laughs) and random commentary. Oh, God, that would be awful. (laughs) Let's do it. To sum up, be open, be communicative. And if you are on the other side of things and you are not intersectional, but you do belong to a group and you find someone disabled within your group, be open, be understanding, and ask them about their situation. I'm not an advocate for forcing people to talk about (laughs) stuff that they don't want to talk about, but (laughs) I also find, speaking personally, that I am a lot more open to talking about things when people ask me about it versus being open about it on my own. Right. And so that is why I encourage people to ask. Oh, yeah. Because someone might not speak up otherwise. You might learn something. They might learn something. And overall, you might both feel better and closer. Yes. I love it. Well, that went great. I thought that was wonderful, JD. I did, too. Uh, I think it's time to sign off here on Talk a Mile in Our Shoes. We hope you enjoyed this episode. I am Andy Shrey. I am JD Otska. And we will see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Bye.